Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with one of the greatest softball players of all time, Monica Abbott. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by one of the greatest softball players to ever lace them up. She's an All-American, an Olympian, and a world champion. Ladies and gentlemen, Monica Abbott. Monica, thanks for coming on the program. What is going on? Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for the great introduction, too. This is a great this is this is really cool for me. You know, I've I got football players, hockey players, obviously baseball players, basketball, <clears throat> Hollywood, and now I have a softball player, a real softball player. Um, you know, I think I got a pretty good trophy room. Pretty cool. I yeah, some, I got some gold gloves. I got some silver sluggers. Got a lot of cool memorabilia. I was going over your resume, getting ready for this thing. You blew me away. You've got like oh, ten yeah. times the amount of awards that that uh, Brett Boone and it's my podcast that I have at my place. I was kind of a little bit jealous. Well, I mean your your trophy room's pretty outstanding yourself. You know the gold gold gloves alone, silver sluggers, pretty incredible. You know, but I've I've been playing a long time, and you know I've I've been blessed enough to be able to play on some really good teams with some really good athletes and won some championships along the way and you know you know as an athlete you just thrive through the, you thrive and you live for those big moments and like as a pitcher you know I I love that, that. I love preparing for it I love competing in those big moments for a chance to, to win with the game on the line so and and what you do that that pit it's unbelievable because well I I'm going to save that for later in the in the program but uh, I've got some I've got some experiences with with you girls softball pitchers and they're not very nice to me it, it wasn't it wasn't my best moment but I'll I'll let you in on it a little bit later you were born in Santa Cruz grew up yes. in Salinas Lettuce yes. Town Lettuce Town and I just want to know what was Monica Abbott like a like as a little girl. Was it always softball for you or, or did you play other sports? Um, I did. I, you know, I'm one of five kids, but I, and I'm the second. So I was very much like, I was the kid that was like always trying to get people to go outside and play. I was the kid like organizing the game of tag on the street or roller skating. You know, I was always like the leader of the neighborhood kids trying to get us to do activities. Um, as a youth athlete, you know, I start. I started playing softball. I followed my sister into the sport. Um, I wasn't very good, uh, and I like. I convinced my mom to give me a pitching lesson because my older sister did it. Like I wanted to be like her. And you know, once I started pitching, I kind of found a home on the softball field, and that's when I re- the really the love of the game took over. That's when I found you know where I should be, and I felt like I could be a part of a team and help contribute. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting. It's an. It's, my daughter played softball for a little bit. She turned it to volleyball. Mm-hmm. But um, did you have a favorite team growing up? Did you have anybody you followed? 
you know, I followed the Giants, but, you know, I, I was like a Randy Johnson gal. Like, I loved Randy Johnson. Um, you know, love to watch the game. I actually, you know, you say volleyball. So many people, people ask me if I ever played volleyball because I was, you know, I'm 6'3", I'm pretty tall for a softball player in general. Not, so, of course, I ended up as a pitcher, but... Um, you know, I never really got into volleyball, which is crazy. I always wonder if I had just gotten into volleyball, would I still have had as much success? I played basketball as well. And, you know, I loved basketball, but I was just, I think I just softball captured my, captured me first. And then basketball was just something I did for fun. While I got a quick second, want to give a shout out to DraftKings. We've partnered with DraftKings now, and they are the official sponsor of the Boone Podcast. Dan? Thanks, Boone. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code BOON. B-O-O-N-E, bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code Boone at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-HOPENY or text HOPENY. Four six seven three six nine. And now back to my interview with Monica Abbott. You're kind of the generation after my generation. So I'm mm-hmm. fifty two. You're kind of you're you're not the current twenty something, but you're kind of in the middle. When I was growing up, yes. it was baseball for me, obviously. But I, mm-hmm. I mean, we were. I'd get up and we, you know, baseball was over, and it's time to play football. I grew up in Jersey as a young kid, right? And then after football season it was basketball, and then it was right. baseball. As I got older and kind of started to realize, you know, what my path was going to be and where I excelled the most, obviously baseball, I kind of narrowed it down and it became baseball year round for me. And then I kind of got rid of the other sports. Today's kids growing up, it seems like you're not allowed to play another sport. It's whatever you're, you're best at. And that's what you play. And you play on travel teams. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, you got coaches and this and that. And, you know, I did it a little bit when I retired and I, and I'd coach my kids and I ended up recruiting just parents, not kids, yeah. because I found that when when you get the parent that has the, the really talented kid that plays shortstop, and if everything just isn't right, I mean, this kid will move to another team, to another team, to, to another team. So we ended up recruiting parents, and, and the, the problem I had with the whole thing, it was so serious, and it was like, oh, my kid's going to do this, and he's going to do that, and sometimes I just wanted to pull him aside and say, listen, 
your kid is not going to do this. He's not going to do that. But the one thing I want him to do is have a great childhood. So when he looks back at this, he said, you know, when I was 12 and we played on the, whoever the team, maybe the bears, boy, was that a lot of fun. And, and I find that today with sports, kids growing up, I find like there's too much pressure being put on them because everybody's not going to be, you know, as in your case, a world champion in Olympia, they're not going to be maybe what I got to do and play in the big leagues for a long right. time. I try to make that experience as a coach more of a life experience and, and man, enjoy this because you only get one childhood. And I just see the masses too many think because they sign up for private lessons and little Joey's playing all over the country means he's going to do this as a career. And more times than not, they're not. And I think I don't know. I just remember my some of my favorite times were when I was playing Little League. I got to go to World Series, All-Star Games. But I'm telling you, to this day, some of my fondest memories are playing on the Little League field and playing All-Stars and trying to get to the, the Little League World Series. I never made it. But those are some of my fondest memories for you. Yeah. Tell, me, tell me a little bit about youth softball. And, and what, what all comes with that? And when you get to a point where, all right, we're doing this for real and we're going to be on this team and that team and everything specialized, when, when was that uh, point for you? Yeah, you know, I just like, I kind of just like, I want to build off what you said a little bit. I think, you know, it's so important, I think, for kids to have a childhood, to remember the good times. Like when I think back about like my practices in rec and like the local club, my local team, I think about, you know, sliding practice and pizza parties and going to Chuck E. Cheese and, you know, the game that we learned. And this this day, you know, I, I learned how to dive and all those things. But we got to remember as coaches and, um, you know, role models and adults and young, youth athletes lives, we got to remember that like, hey, like today is not the day they go pro, <laughs> you know, like everyone can have a dream and it's and everyone needs to have a goal and a vision for what they want to do. And there's going to be some kids that are going to do really great and they're going to stay focused and, you know, but it's, they don't go out day one, day five and become a national champion. You know, they go out day after day consistently and consistently year after year and slowly just like, stair step up, level it up. They slowly get better. You slowly start to get it. All of a sudden, you know, you take a, like for me, you know, I started in right field and then all of a sudden I moved to center field. And then I was the shortstop as a left-handed left-hander, which obviously that didn't last very long. So, I, so then I moved to first base and then I was started to hit really well. And then I became a pitcher and you know, this is the process that these athletes go through and they slowly get better each year and every day. And, and that's what, whether you're going to be an Olympian or the best one on your local city, city team or your club team or in your state, that's how you do it. You do it little by little day after day. And when I was pitching, that's kind of like what happened to me. Like I played every position. I started pitching and I was like, oh, wow, like I can be pretty good at this. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm getting better. Like I see improvement. Like this is cool. Like, wow, I got a strikeout, you know, like, ooh, wow. Like my coach is going to teach me how to throw a curveball now. Like, so it's like step by step and like having that consistency um, 
consistency, I think, like in the year to year and in the mindset, but also in like your how I was practicing and doing off the field, like having the consistency of like, okay, like this is still fun and exciting, because I'm still learning something new. And I have a a good environment and good coaches around me that are like lifting me up and like getting really excited about something. Like, Brett, I had this coach and I'm sure you have, have had plenty of coaches too, but I'll never forget at like a youth youth age and I was just learning how to throw a rise ball and I would throw, I would throw out there, like just keep throwing, trying to throw this rise ball, trying to throw this rise ball. And all of a sudden, like I would throw one who, and he would just like, celebrate like you know it was the happy new year's it was christmas it was his 50th birthday He'd be like oh my gosh it rose like holy moly that's strike three every time and whoo he would be like whooping and hollering and just like so excited for me when i did it right and when i saw a coach like that when i saw a coach my coach at like 15 16 years old being that excited about it oh my gosh you better believe like Oh, my heart was full and it was pumping and racing really hard. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I did it once I got to do it again. I got to, I got to get that excitement again. And it became, it became so fun and made it fun to be, to try to repeat it, to be successful, that repeatability and that consistency that you need in the game to be successful. No, that's a cool story. And you're right about, about coaching. You know, I never thought in a million years, you know, when I was in the middle of my career that one day I'd be this travel ball coach or one day I'd, I'd work with minor league players. I, I did that for a couple of years in Oakland and man, I loved it. I mean, it, it ended up in the end, I didn't have the time that, that they needed from me. And I had kids of my own that were growing up and I didn't want to miss their, their yeah. varsity baseball game. So I had to step away after a couple of years. But I had the Oakland A's in 2014 and 15, and we had a really good crop at the time. It was a young Olsen, uh, the first baseman. We had the, Matt Chapman, who's the third baseman, uh, Chad Pinder. I mean, we just had about five or six guys that I kind of looked at them and knew these guys have a really good chance of, of making a career out of this, not just low A ball. Mm-hmm. But the little things we'd work on, I'd come into town and I'd put my uni on and I'd go out to the middle infield and I'd work with the middle infielders and I'd go, no, you know, and they'd ask questions and I'd give them feedback. And when I saw this, the slow progression and I'd see that A ball player become a double A player, it, it was, it was rewarding. It's, it's not that I needed the, uh, you know, them to tell me, oh, thanks for helping me. No, if I could just be a, just a tiny part of helping you get to the next level, that was enough for me. And it was cool. And I hear your reaction from your coach. He was genuinely pumped up. Like I I see potential, I see potential in this girl. I'm going to teach her. Wow. That happened for the first time. And he went, wow, she's teachable. And how awesome is this? Now she's going to go to the next level. But I think coaches like that are really cool. And they really, I mean, obviously in your case, they framed how you started looking at it. You said, wow, now I'm serious. Now I want to, I want to do the next thing he teaches me. If he gets, if, if he got reaction out of a, a stinking rise ball, what's he going to do when I do this, this and the other. And I yeah. think that was so cool, that story, because it's real. And that's what, that's what those coaches that really get in the trenches and really care. They, that's what they, that's the reaction you'll get for them. And I, and I thought that was a really cool. Cool. Yeah, it's just celebrate. It's celebrating the little things and the positivity and the the experience. 
I mean, that really has a huge impact on an athlete. And, you know, I think a lot of times we think about like, oh, what can I do better? Or what can I do better? And that's sometimes that's the first conversation you have in the car on the way home with your parents, you know, what I should have done this, or I should have done that, or like, what could I have done better? But like, let's not forget, like, let's not forget what you did well. Like, let's forget about the things that we didn't do well. And let's try to repeat the things that were good. How can you repeat the best thing that you did that day on a consistent basis? And if you change your mindset to think that way, then all of a sudden those minor mistakes, those little things don't become that big of a deal. And they start, they start to work themselves out on their own. No, I agree with you. And I don't know if you're a big, uh, uh, video person, but I was a huge video, you know, so I I would come back in between the bats, you know, wherever I was playing, we always have a little video room right off the, right off the dugout. Mm -hmm. If I hit a home run, if I did something, something really well, I'd go in there and watch that video time after time. And it it was almost like you were talking about positive reinforcement. I don't want to see the punch out. I don't want to see the slider. I chase uh, in a three, two count with a runner on third and less than two outs, I want to see the, the ball I hit over the right center field wall because that's just given me a positive image that's in my mind. It took yeah. me a while to get to that point. You know, when I was a kid coming up in this game, my hair was on fire and, and I just wanted to do good. And I was swinging hard and I was uh, emotional and, and, and through, I was throwing helmets and wow. I, I mean, I had a major, like I had to get a hit every time up or something wasn't, you know, something wasn't right. And I had a couple of veteran players came to me. You know, I was probably 22 years old. I said, Brett, you're going to play this game a long time. <laughs> you're going to have a heart attack if you continue to take each and every bat so serious. You got to be able to separate. Once it's over, it's over. What can we do to better the next time? And it, and I think that's a maturation mm-hmm. process. And it, it happened to take a few years for me. But uh, we're all different. But but Yeah. Uh, Interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah, I think like there's definitely what I think what you said, a maturity process of like not living and dying on every at bat or like on for me uh, as a pitcher, not living and dying on every hit that you give up, like being able to manage what was done good and also what you can uh, you can improve on and get better. You know, I love to watch video and see like, okay you know, this sequence worked, this one didn't. Okay. Yeah. Like she got a hit. I definitely missed this pitch. Like this location wasn't good or, Oh wow. Like she really, that was a great pitch. And she just, you know, she got her barrel to it. So being able to recognize those things is important. But then again, just like going back to like, you know, at the end of the day, right before the game, you want to go in knowing not only subconsciously and internally, you want to know what that feeling of like, and you want to remember like, Hey, like what did it feel like to, to get that big strike three when that rise ball broke? Great. Like, what did it feel like to get that big hit? Because that's, that's what you're trying to repeat. That's what you're trying to do over and over again in this game. And you know, as well as I do, like you get a lot of chances in this game. You you get a lot of chances, a lot of opportunities and you know, you never know when it, your name's going to be called to step up and you got to be ready to be able to channel that feeling for each pitch because, Hey, it might be that next pitch that you get that home run or that strikeout that's needed. So, yeah. You know, an interesting question I have for you is, okay, obviously hitting in softball is a little bit different 
than hitting sure. a baseball just because of the distance, because of a lot of factors. But for me as a hitter, okay, when I was at my best, I wouldn't necessarily, I'm not going up there looking for the ball and, and reacting. I've got a, I, my plan's a little more <laughs> intricate than that. Mm-hmm. I'm probably looking for a pitch. I might sit on his slowest pitch. Let's say you guys mm-hmm. throwing a 75 mile an hour fastball or curveball, an 84 mile an hour slider. He's got a 79 mile an hour changeup. Right. And, and his fastball is 95. Well, if I decided that I don't think he's going to try to get me out with the heater here, he's going to try to get me off out with something off speed. I'll go up there and I'll sit right. on an off speed pitch. I'll sit there the whole at bat. I'm not going to just sit, you know, oh, now you throw me a fastball down the middle. That doesn't mean I abandon my plan. That means I'm going to wait you out. So sometimes it'd go fastball, ball one, fastball, strike one. Now I'm not looking for a fastball. I've taken two pitches, fastball in, ball two. Okay. This isn't the time to switch. You've been waiting for this the entire bat. It's coming. Now don't miss it. In softball, do you have, and I'm sure the, 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 the hitters on the other team that are kind of a step above everybody, I'm sure they have something they're sitting on. Do you read hitters in the box? Do you read body language? Like, do you throw a fastball right down the middle and a certain girl takes it? Do you know, wait a minute, she doesn't take that pitch if she's not looking for something else. Do you see things like that? Because that's, that's what I love about the game. Oh, 100%. 100%. That's next level stuff. Sometimes, you know, when I'm, I'm standing on the mound, like just, I could tell, okay, this girl's waiting, this girl's waiting on this pitch. Like, I mean, pitchers do their homework too. You know, like we know what you like (laughs) every hitter, whether they're sitting on something or not, they've got like their zone that they, that is their favorite zone to hit. Right. And then, and then they put some strategy into it based on, you know, who they're facing or their plan for that at bat. But Pitchers do the same thing. We definitely, we definitely try to read hitters on what they're looking for. Some are better at g- giving it away than others, um, and some you kind of like try to use their what they're sitting on against them, so to speak. Right, if that right. makes sense. Like, hey, you want to sit on this pitch? Okay, like how am I going to use this pitch in a way that in a way that will still be effective for me. Right. So definitely love to like read hitters and counts and just body language. Their, their eyes, I think give away a lot. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, for me, I hated pitchers that were paying attention. I liked the pitcher that was out there. He was so amped up. He was just, he was just trying desperately getting out. He didn't, he didn't have yeah. the wherewithal to look at the big picture. Now I'm facing the elite guys. I'm facing a Pedro Martinez, uh-huh. a Greg Maddox. Now the game begins. The cat and mouse begins. If I've got an elite catcher back there that's really thinking through the game, and I tell this story all the time. So the people out there listening on the Boone podcast, you might, this might, you might have heard this before, but. Jason Veritek was was a catcher with the Boston Red Sox. And for instance, I'd go I'd go up there a lot of times with the bases loaded and I would sit first pitch breaking ball because mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't think he was going to come with a fastball. Now the times where they throw me a fastball down the middle, it's almost like a, a catcher like Jason Veritek would take his mask off, look up at me, start laughing and say so Brett Boone's going to take a fastball down the middle with the bases loaded. 
<laughs> what are you looking for? And now all of a sudden I give them that, okay, you caught me. Now what am I going to do to counter that play? And it is, it's like a, it's like a real high level game of chess. And oh, that, I could talk about yes. it forever. I love it. You, you got to take into consideration the pitcher. What's your history? What's my history off Monica Abbott? What yep. if I beat her on? What does yep. she beat me on? Who's hitting behind me? Does she want to face that girl over me? Yeah. Who's sitting in front of me? Who's hot? Who's not? Yep. Not so much in softball because I know you're pitching. Usually when you take them out, you're pitching seven innings. But for, <laughs> for me, it's who's warming up in the bullpen? Lefty, righty. Do I have a lefty behind me? Are they going to bring the lefty in? Are they going to pitch around me? Are they going to pitch to me? It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. But I think that the high-level hitters in in all along through the – throughout the history of baseball, always thought that way. And I learned that from from uh, some real elite hitters. You know, Edgar Martinez was kind of my mentor, and, and we talked that game, and all of a sudden I became a different player just because I thought through the process. And when I left the on-deck circle, I had a plan. It wasn't yeah. always right, but as long as I stuck to my plan over a 162-game schedule, I was going to have the be- best outcome that I could possibly have and have the best year sticking to my plan. The guys I see get in trouble usually are the young players that quite don't, you know, they're, they're not secure enough yet and, and they haven't accomplished enough yet to really trust themselves. So they waver, you know, they go up, mm-hmm. all right, it's a good idea to sit on a break ball. They oh, change, they change right. their plan. Mid, mid, right. Mid at bat. And then all of a sudden, here it comes. That pitch that you were supposed to be looking for, it was on a tee. The thing is about a hitter, you can look for your pitch all day. But when you get it, you better not miss it either. So yeah, it's twofold. It's true. twofold. It's interesting, though. That's the cool stuff in the game. All yeah. right. High school softball. Saw this. You only average 300 punch outs a year. Uh, you want every award possible. Uh, I think you went to North Salinas High. That's right. And now the recruiting process starts. What was the recruiting process like for you? I'm sure you had a million teams after you. Why did you land on Tennessee? Why, aren't, why weren't you a Trojan like the Boone podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, def- I definitely had some offers from the, I definitely had a good set of offers, but you know what? Like when I went to Tennessee, like it kind of clicked. I They did a really good job recruiting me. Um, you know, they stayed the course when I think a lot of people took themselves out of the game because they didn't think maybe they could get, they could get me or that I would go there. Um, but they stayed the, they played the long game. They stayed the course and then going to Knoxville, you know, I really wanted to go, wanted to go to a school at the time, you know, it was like 2002, 2003, you know, I wanted to go to a school that supported women's athletes and I wanted to go to an athlete, athletic school, like I'm from North Salinas high school, like people were lining up to watch my, our high school school softball games, you know, like, so I came from a very like softball driven community in school and we got publicized great. And I loved that about Salinas. Like they were so, so into their sports, into the athletes there. And they loved, they did that. Um, especially their high school athletes. We don't have any pros here, teams close by. So going to Tennessee, it was like really ideal for me that it was like a big sports school. And, and then it was even more ideal that they really, you know, had the lady ball program. Tennessee at the time was an up and coming softball program. And I felt like I could make an impact and help that, help that program be established, you know, create my own path. 
Yeah, because Tennessee is, you know, was known for hoops for a lot of years. Right. Pat, Pat Summit, uh, kind of, you know, the the lady volunteers kind of on a they're on a different level. And that was interesting to me is I, I knew about the basketball program, but in 04, when you landed there, what was that like for you and, and your expectations? Yeah. You know, when I got there, it kind of, you know, you get recruited and everything's all, it's like this dating phase. And then like you get to the school and all of a sudden it's like reality check, like, whoa, like I'm in college now. I'm on the other side of the country. I got to do all this weight training. And at the time, you know, you know, we didn't do weight training in high school or anything like that. So the first time I picked up a weight was in college and all of a sudden, you know, I was managing a schedule and all these expectations and workouts. And it was a lot to deal with my freshman year. Um, and it took a while for me to adjust. But I think once I was able to like step onto the field and kind of get settled in, things started to click because at the end of the day, the game is still the game, right? Like you don't lose that competitive edge or fire and you you still want to win. You still know what it takes. You still get those gut feelings. And then I had to learn how to educate myself. Watch. I had to learn how to like, Hey, watch yourself do bad things so you can fix it, but also watch yourself do good things on video so that you can repeat it. And I had to really learn about all the other parts of the game outside of just, Hey, let's throw the ball as hard as you can and strike some people out. Freshman year, you were uh, SEC freshman of the year. Fifty nine appearances, you go forty five and ten. Now, mm-hmm. how, how many how many games are in a college season, softball season? Oh gosh, I think we play around. At the time, it's not this anymore. But when I was in college, I think it was like around like forty seven games in regular season, and then it, something like that, or forty not fifty fifty games. So it's and like, that doesn't include postseason. So, yeah, right. you're so you, fifty nine. That you're basically pitching every day. Every time your team's on the field, you're the pitcher. Yeah. So what? Basically, almost every year I was there. Um, I basically we played three game series: a doubleheader on Saturday and a single game Sunday in the SEC. Um, they now have moved to a Friday, Saturday, Sunday game. And I'm like, man, if I had only been, you know, in that, in that series, but we played double headers and I would basically start game one, close game two, and then start game three. (laughs) That's a nightmare for a hitter. Yeah. All right. You have 582 Ks your freshman year. And that Mm -hmm. was the third most, that was, that was the third most at the time. Mm-hmm. Over 352 innings. You go to your sophomore year, you go 50 and nine with a 0.5 ERA, 603. That's two 500 plus strikeout seasons in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go to the WCWS Ooh. and you're all tourney in Oklahoma <laughs> City. What's that like? What's it? What's the uh, the softball college World Series like from what you've seen? Compare it to the baseball in Rosenblatt. Oh, man. I never got to make it. I got to the regional. I got bumped three times, uh, all three I'm of my years. I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry for you. It's the greatest experience. I mean, the Women's, the women's College World Series, I, it's like literally not comparable. The atmosphere was just top notch. 
I think, you know, it's everything that you think about when you see, when you see college, college finals, you know, uh, stadiums yelling at stadium split in half and yelling at each other across the, across the field. Um, you know, just the atmosphere itself. It was like big time, you know, big time feel world series feel, um, even thinking about it right now, I still kind of get butterflies and chills thinking about playing in Oklahoma city at the women's college world series and just how incredible that was. And it was a dream. (laughs) It really was. It was a dream come true. It was a feeling that I'll never forget just standing on the mound and being like being so nervous and anxious and just like, mind blown that I was there like, Oh my gosh, I got to win. I'm so nervous right now. Just, just take a breath, Monica, you can do this. You got this. It's it's just a game. Still, still three <laughs> strikes and you're out, you know, <laughs> you got but, a bunch of, b- bunch of girls and visors yelling at you. Yeah, exactly. With like, you know, all the, you know, noisemakers and foam fingers and all of that and music blasting and, Pretty cool. And everything. And I think I was so amped up. I probably threw about 80 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. I never made it. I got to a regional a couple times and, and we got, yeah. bounce. we got bounced. I got bounced at LSU and I got bounced. Where did I go? Fresno state my freshman year. We got eliminated pretty quick in Texas, but uh, yep. Never made it. Junior year, 531 Ks. Mm-hmm. That's three years in a row. That this is the thing that's a little off the charts for me. Senior year. Uh-huh. 724. <laughs> All right. At this point, are you just saying, if you give up a hit, I mean, that's a rough night for you. Like, how did I possibly give up a hit at this point? Yeah, I, mean, I, thought- I mean, what, what, what for Monica was a bad day? Um, I'm looking at this. This is ridiculous. You had 23 think- no hitters, six perfect games. Yeah. At that point, like if I didn't have 10 strikeouts, I think I was like not pitching well. Which sounds crazy to think well, about. Well, we'll think of this though. All right. Seven, had, seven innings. I, well, sorry. It's a seven inning. It's a seven inning game. Yeah. But you're, you're, if I'm doing the math right, you're striking out about 2.3 batters mm-hmm. per inning. Yeah. So you got to have 14 just to keep up with your average. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, yeah, as a hitter, that's, that wouldn't be fun. I mean, that's facing, that's kind of like facing the, the guys I did. That's me, like me facing Maddox, Matt, Smoltz, Glavin, Randy Johnson, and Pedro on a five, on a five rotation. And, and I just faced them Ooh, all year. That, that'd that, be fire. That, that doesn't sound fun to me, but that's what it had to be for those other players with those numbers. <laughs> yeah. You know, what can I say? <laughs> right. I don't want to, I don't want to make you, gl- but the, I, 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 really the strikeout. I like to say, you know, strikeouts are fun. Strikeouts are sexy. You know, you know, when I was out there in my senior, my senior year of college, I was just, you know, we were, we were a very driven and focused team. And I think I, I obviously was as well, but I just remember like, yeah, like, being a very focused team is such a good atmosphere and people would just swing and swing and swing. And I just like, okay, like 
I mean, if the strikeout's there, you're going to take it. Like if the opportunity's there, just take it. And like to think back to like what we were talking about earlier, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, the reading the hitters, the video, the mental game, the, the balance of like life in softball, the workouts, you know, all of those things were clicking. So like now all of a sudden it's all clicking and now I can see like, oh, this hitter's going to swing three, three feet over her head. Like I don't even have to throw it in the zone. <laughs> like, right. That's what I did. Cause all of a sudden all that, that education, that learning, that the reading of the hitters, understanding the game so much better, that all started to show up in my senior year. How much hitting did you do? I hit until my sophomore year of college and then I had to have like a heart to heart with my coach and I had to tell him, I said, coach, you're pulling me in the lineup. You're pulling me out of the lineup, like (laughs) doing all this extra reps, what's going on. And he was, he was like, bless his heart, like the most honest he could have ever been. And he said, Monica, like you're a good hitter. But honestly, we can't afford to get you injured. Like, it was more about like, he's like, if you go down, everything goes down with you. And he's like, you're a competitive hitter. And he wasn't telling me anything I didn't know. You're a competitive hitter, but you're not a top hitter. Like, hitting isn't going to be your future. Like, and I knew that. Like, I was competitive. I could hold my own for the bottom of the lineup. But like, I wasn't like the top four hitters on the team. Like, I was just... I contributed, (laughs) you know, I laid down once, got a couple singles every now and then, you know, like (laughs) hit a, hit a home run or two, like kind of thing. I wasn't one of the top hitters. And so I knew that too. And at the time, you know, 2008 Olympic games were coming up and I knew that like, they didn't need the team USA didn't want me to hit. They didn't need me for hitting and that I needed to focus on in the circle. So really when I talked to coach weekly, it, he was just repeating things that I knew already. And it was more like a heart heart of like, okay, like let's start to like prep you and prepare you for what's next and get you focused in on the pitching side only, because you can be, because if once you do that, you'll be that much better. Yeah, that that makes sense. And from a safety standpoint, you're right. You go down, you get hurt on the bases. It doesn't matter what it is. We just lose our ace. So it's better, especially if you're not that stud hitter in the middle of the lineup. It's like, all right, we have somebody else. You just, Monica, you sit over there and just you pitch for us, and and it'll be all yeah. better. Yeah. I, yeah, I think if I was a coach, I'd probably protect my my best asset too, and go no. Yeah, know. I mean, at the time, at the time too, there was like very few pitchers throwing. When I was in college, there was very few pitchers throwing seventy plus. So <laughs> it was like one of two, maybe that could that could bring it that fast. So like, it really it really did make sense. Like I said, like I was a good hitter, but I was by no means great. I was a good solid contributor. That's it. You leave, uh, let's see, 2005-2010, you win four World Cup championships, three Canada Cup titles, Mm -hmm. 2006 and 10, Women's World Championships, and 2007, a gold medal at the Pan Am Games, 2008, Mm -hmm. and we'll get to the Olympics a little bit later, silver medal. Mm -hmm. What am I missing? Am I missing anything? And tell me – out of those, out of those experiences from from 
2005 to 2010, which were the most rewarding? Were they all all equally or, or I don't know, similar in their own right? Um, I think they were all kind of similar in their own right. You know, most of what you said, I was playing for Team USA. Um, and it was, it was great. Um, I was uh, kind of starting to come into my own as a professional, figuring out what that balance meant of, and what that looked like for me. I think, you know, when athletes leave – leave the structure and the, the structure and stability of college or of, of high school. And then also of college, you know, you go to college and everything's maximized, you know, that you leave that structure. And I was out on my own, be becoming a professional in those years and learning what that meant to me. Like, how did I want to train? How did I want to, what, what did I want to focus on with my, you know, strength coach or conditioning coach? What did I need to focus on, on my pitching? How was I going to correct my own mistakes without necessarily having someone watching every single bullpen I threw? Like I had to learn a lot about myself as an athlete and what it meant for me to be successful. And that's what those years I would say are about. Yeah. You represent, you represented USA, uh, a lot. I got to, I played on one, one team after my sophomore year in, in uh, college and the baseball structure was a little different back then. No pros could play. It was just strictly amateur. So the college, and usually yeah. you wanted to get the best college players, the best college players, usually the juniors that are high draft picks. But if it wasn't an Olympic year, the first round picks that were juniors, the all American, they wouldn't wait around and play in the USA games unless it was an Olympic year. Right. So say it was a Pan Am. No, these guys are going to take their bonus. They're going to go to a ball and they're going to get on with their career. So the year that I got picked to play on the USA team, it was a bunch of sophomores. So it was all mm-hmm. sophomores and freshmen. And we're walking around, you know, we're team USA. We're just going to go beat everybody. And for the most part we did until we got to Cuba. <laughs> so we show up to Cuba and they're, they got their big boys out there. I mean, it ended up being yeah. big time men playing with boys, but we go to the the stadium, Fidel Castro shows up and we're hitting BP and oh, this stadium feels small. You know, they got bleachers in the outfield, which is different for us at the time in college. We're used to just having a fence yeah. and a parking lot. So we're hitting balls deep in the seats and we're thinking we're going to kill these guys. We got beat so bad four games. I mean, we got mercy ruled every game and I left Cuba like, oh my goodness. And, and when I thought, when I, when I'm thinking back to it, it's like, these guys were 26, 27. They mm-hmm. were the big leaguers, you know, guys now that are coming over yeah. and defecting from Cuba and you see them in the big leagues. Now that's who we were playing against at the time. So the USA experience for me was kind of, it, it was fine. I enjoyed it. I, I was proud that I, that I got to do it, but uh, you've done it for a long time. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those differences between baseball and softball. You know, we, um, you know, baseball has the MLB and has that ability for athletes to go pro and like make a living doing that full time, which is incredible. But for softball, you know, the Olympics is kind of our big thing. That's where we make a living. We use that as, you know, that's, that's the top of the top for softball is uh, team USA and, you know, going to the Olympics. So, you know, I was able to go in 2008 and obviously the 
Pan American Games and then also World Championship Games, which are all qualifiers and lead up events for based around uh, the Olympic schedule. Played professional in the States. I believe that league is no more. Am I right on that? Yes. And 2010, you go to the Japan Softball League, where you currently still play. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know about Japan. I got a chance, almost. I played with Ichiro. He's taught me, he's taught me a few words. I probably shouldn't say them to you. <laughs> but we had an opportunity after the 2001 season to go to Japan, mm-hmm. but that was 9-11. And they ended up scratching the trip at the, at the last at the last minute. I was pumped to go. Usually at the beginning of a season, you don't want to fly to a different country. The jet lag, you got opening day, you're focused. But this particular year, I thought Ichiro had come over. I had seen that. I had seen the rock star ism from from the press that came over from Japan, and and I was just yeah. Japan kind of took the Seattle Mariners in at the time because of Ichiro's you know playing right. on our team. That was kind of Japan's team, the Seattle Mariners, and I wanted to witness that by going to Japan. Uh, we never got to go, but living in in wow, living over there, the culture. The, the language barrier, do you speak the language now? Just give me a little snapshot of, of what it's like living in a, in Japan. Yeah. Uh, yes. Hi. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, I can speak Japanese now. And, yeah, I've been over there playing in the Japan Softball League, uh, which is now just rebranded as the JD League. And I've been playing for Toyota for – since yeah 2009 and honestly like it's been the most incredible experience i when you said seattle is like you know went kind of like baseball crazy with the mariners and japan the mariners became japan's team team to root for you know japan is such a their culture is so based around baseball and softball like it's incredible there's amazing fan support, company support, just the whole professionalism, the experience itself, the fans that show up on a regular basis. They always, they're so consistent. They watch all the time. They know, and they're very like knowledgeable fans. Like they're like, (laughs) their questions will be in the press conferences will be like, it was the seventh inning and you faced this hitter it was two balls and no strikes. Why did you throw? <laughs> why did you throw the changeup? <laughs> or like their questions are like literally so knowledgeable. What was the decision on throwing this pitch versus that pitch? You know, so they're very knowledgeable and in depth fans, which is actually really cool because they've because they continue to follow their athletes. They're very loyal to them, and you know that's cool as an athlete. It creates a good community and atmosphere to play in and you know that's all we all really want right as an athlete you're trying to go over there and um, entertain and we want to entertain our fans and when they're able to like create such a good atmosphere for us it becomes a lot easier to do that <laughs> yeah and you mentioned they are passionate i mean i i just i hear the stories uh, from my from japanese teammates i've had through the years and i saw the ichiro phenomenon and i mean he brought it was different for us as, you know, 
major league baseball players because I had never had a, a Japanese guy on my team at the time that brought the fanfare he did. And I mean, there were 50 re- Japanese reporters that, mm-hmm. that, that stayed with us for that entire first year. So those questions you were asking, I, I had those questions asked to me and, and they are, they're very literal how they speak, but each row would do his co- you know, press conference and then I'd be doing, you know, some media or whatever. And then some of the Japanese, the guys that are following each row would come in for a sound bite and they would ask the question, the questions exactly how you just yeah. uh, asked it very literal, like Brett two two pitch, he throws you a breaking ball. What are you th-? And I would look at him and I'd say, what are you thinking? Well, that's very well written there, their son. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a neat culture. I've had a lot of players go over there. You know, Japan's always been kind of, you know, for Major League Baseball, a lot of guys at the end of their career. Right. uh, They just want to, you know, try something else. Maybe they they got a contract that they wouldn't get in the States and they go over there. I've heard some really great stories and I've heard some terrible ones. And, you know, some of the guys that go over there, our culture over here isn't when you're a big leaguer. You really are kind of done practicing. You get to the ballpark at three o'clock. You go over your video. You might have your routine. You get ready for the game every night. We've got to play every day. We play 162 games. So there's not much, there's not practice going on. If you know what I'm saying, it's more, yeah. it's more like a professional tour player going to the range. He's right. not there to work on his game. He's there to get loose for the tournament practices in the off season, which for, for a tour player, that would be a week he's not playing. But that's not the way it is in Japan. It's kind of yeah. like I, I've heard the stories from players when they come back said it's unbelievable. From su- it seems like from sun up to sundown, they're either playing a game or they're practicing, and and that was a culture shock for a lot of players and probably a lot of the players that didn't succeed over there is because they're like, wait a minute, I'm going to do it one way for 20 years. I'm going to go to Japan and be doing you know yeah. cal- calisthenics at nine in the morning. Well, I'm not going to do that. How was that for you going over there? Was it was it a culture shock or was it similar in the softball? Yeah, you know, there's definitely, I think, anyone that goes to a different country to play to play the game, there's definitely culture shock of different things that go on. I mean, yeah, I've <laughs> I've been through some intense practices in college and with Team USA, but t- Toyota and Japan for sure, like we're out there all day sometimes, like nine to five, literally nine to six, um, and. It, we take our breaks and we ramp up during certain times and doing calisthenics in the morning. But I think at the end of the day, you know, it really is what you make of it. And I think there is that balance of you have you being okay, knowing what you're okay, not doing, you know, and what you're okay doing. Um, Just that ability for me to be able to say like, okay, this is really important to me. This is this is where I need to spend my energy. This is where I need to spend my focus on defensively or pitching wise or, you know, conditioning and body care wise versus like what someone that maybe is, you know, eight, half, half the, the age of me is doing at practice that day, you know, in, this on the softball side, you know, we have kids come straight out of high school. So our age range on our teams can be anywhere from 18 to, you know, 30, 35. So, you know, that's a big age gap as far. And that's a big maturity gap as far as like 
how your professionalism and the type and amount of practice that you need as an athlete. Those 18 year olds, like they're hungry. They're hungry to be able to go out there and like practice all day because they want their chance on the field. Um, whereas like your more seasoned players in your late twenties or thirties, you know, you you have different priorities and different things that you need to take care of um, as far as your body goes to be able to perform at a high level on game day. So it's just knowing those differences and being able to manage it and also being able to, you know, tell, tell the people, (laughs) tell them that. So I think that's also difficult. Japan's definitely challenged me as a person. It's challenged me as an athlete, but really being able to, know my truth and to also speak it um because what's the worst that they can say say is like no do it anyway i'm like okay then then you got to do it you know you got to suck it up and do it but if you don't use your voice then you're kind of out of luck when when you were just coming out of when you just first got to japan you were you know i I don't I, i don't know what your age was at the time was there anybody that ever took you under their wing and kind of taught you the ropes professionally or at that, or at that time where we enough, you were well-traveled enough and you'd been in enough big time platforms that, that really you were a seasoned veteran when you started professionally. No, no. I think like there's definitely, you know, as a, as a team sport, they, the team kind of takes you under, under their wing, so to speak. There was uh, several players that really like, looked after me as far as just knowing where to go, where, when to be there, things about like just the way the organization and team functions that you just need to know that is different from your past organizations. Um, and then also just like people that you just vibe with, right? Like there's always people on teams that you are going to vibe with more than others and being able to have like a common ground or common bond there to be able to share information and knowledge. Yeah. So there's definitely been people over the years that you vibe with more than others. You're a five-time MVP in that league. Uh, It's your 11th season. How much longer are you going to do it? (laughs) That's a good question. You know, God only knows. (laughs) So right now you're not thinking there's nothing in your future. It'll it, you'll you'll start to wind down when you wind down. Yeah, you know I think I'm coming off the 2020 Olympic Games right now. Um, you know, part of me feels like, hey, like I could I could probably play. You know, I could Tom Brady it and probably play until I'm 40, 42. You know, why not? because it's all about the shape that you keep your body in at this point and being able to still compete. But, uh, you know, I don't know if it's more so like the amount of length of time of the season that uh, is concerning to me, you know, the amount of pitches on my arm, things like that, that, you know, at the end of this year, I'll really look at and, um, think about more in depth because, you know, playing, playing a nine month season, you know, 10 months with training and all of that, you know, that's a lot, a lot of effort on your body and a lot of throw pitches on your arm and just being able to maintain that. And that level of play is um, what you really have to think about. Yeah. I think, you know, and I think that's for any athlete. 
And there's so much, especially in 2022 with the training techniques and, and how I see, I mean, I've only been out of the game, you know, I retired 15 years ago, but the level of athlete I'm seeing now come into the game is a superior athlete to even 15 years ago. It's, it's the training. It's the, it's the data we have. It's, yeah. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really jealous because we talked earlier about me being, a, uh, me being a uh, video rat. Imagine me today, if you could just give me an iPad and I could go into a series and I've got every guy in the bullpen on this iPad, his past five outings. I've got the starting pitcher tonight. The last time he faced me, his outing four days ago, I, I'd be in hog heaven. I'd be sitting in my yeah, room I mean, all night knowing that. And and back when I was playing, it's like we had, you know, we had the disc and it's like I'd, I'd be yelling at my at my uh, video guy like, you got this. I'm working on it, Brett. We might have it tomorrow. We might not. I'm a little jealous of the current modern day baseball player at, at what they have at their fingertips. It's awesome. Yeah, the like the amount of technology. I think just the impact of technology alone has been huge in the game of baseball and softball. Just like you said, I, the amount of information that you can get is crazy. Like it's so good. It is so so good. It's, it's uh, and it's really impacted. I think it's impacted the level of play too. I mean, that's why you're seeing, you know, you're seeing things like exit velocity and pitchers throwing the ball harder and better movement breaks and <laughs> better speed. Like even runners, like they getting out of the box, running down the line, they're faster because of all of these things. Like we've broken it down technology based and like skill set based too. Right. And, and for someone like you, you know, you've, you've had a, an awesome career and, and none of us are getting any younger. But you, no. I think you hit it on the head with what you have to do to prepare for each and every season and the length. You know, that day will probably come for you one day where, you know, it's not worth it anymore. To, to It's too hard for me to get ready where it used to be just easy and we took it for granted. We do get old. Trust me. Yeah. I got When I was 35, I woke up one day and I felt like I was 45 and it was overnight. Yeah. And all of a sudden I had to like prepare to play. I never had to do that in my life. I would just get out of bed. Right. And where are we going? But father time, it happens to all of us. But I think that's it. You'll know when your time is. It's You don't have that burning desire to compete and to kick someone's ass every single day. When that goes, then you'll know. But uh, I don't know. Pretty awesome to this point. Uh, tell me about the Monica Al, uh, Abbott Scholarship Fund. And it's, yeah. is it the Moniacs or the Moniacs? <laughs> it's the, I call them the, that's a good question. <laughs> I call them the, the Moniacs. Moniacs. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes it's just sense. like my little fan club. Actually, uh, some, we took a poll on Twitter and that was one of the, one of the winners of the fan club name was voted by one of our Moniacs themselves. So that's how that name came to be. But yeah, the Monica Abbott Scholarship Fund, I actually started it in, I think it's 2013. And going back to what we talked about earlier, you know, I really thought about the specialization in sport and just felt that, you know, as cool as it is on the development these athletes were getting, there is a place for like multi-sport athletes. And it's really about that. It's creating like, that balance in life for athletes and just being leaders in, in their class, in their school, you know, creating, whether they play 
creating future leaders and whether they play college sports or not, um, giving them the opportunity to hopefully stay in sport another way, whether that's in broadcasting and media and sports analysis and, you know, sports health, sports business, all of those things. So giving them an opportunity to hopefully continue their education and to stay in the game in another way, whether they play um, collegiately or not. All the little girls you've inspired, your little girls come up to you sometimes and say, Monica, I started playing softball because of you. Yeah, sometimes. Is that pretty <laughs> Yeah, cool? they do. They're very cute. The kids are really cute. They A lot of them will message me on social media or they'll eat. Sometimes their parents will email me. But yeah, a lot of, will come up to me at events and different things and just they really want to sh- show show me what they can do pitching wise or tell me about like how I inspired them. And it's just so heartwarming. Isn't it a cool thing? And I think as you, as you, as you get older, you're going to appreciate it even more. I mean, when you're in the, when you're in the moment, I'm sure when you're in Japan and you're playing, uh, you know, we, we deal with it as athletes, we deal with the fans and autographs and you're hounded all the time. And it's not that we don't appreciate it, but as you get farther and farther away, that's some of the coolest stuff for me these days it's not so much I'm walking down the street and I'm getting hounded for autographs, but once in a while someone just comes up to you and say, Hey, you know, I really enjoyed watching you play. And when you get to be my age, it's kind of cool. Like it's not a, it's not a big, Oh, sign this sign that it's a handshake and an appreciation. And you can kind of, as you get a little bit older and a little wiser and and you live life a little more, it kind of look back and go, wow, that was cool. That, he loved watching me play when I was young. Yeah. You know, that's it's, it's the neat part and it's the important part of the game. All right. You want my story? This okay. is 19. I think the 96 did the 96 uh, women's team win the Olympics. I think they did. They did. Michelle Smith. Was the yep. pitcher. And then that girl that was kind of the like the, you know, the motivational leader of the team, Dot Richardson, I think her name was. Yes. Shortstop. Dot Richardson. Mm-hmm. So I get a call. I'm in Orlando, Florida at the time. I'm playing for the Cincinnati Reds. And, you know, while uh, the uh, Disney is right there, which is mm-hmm. at the time was the Atlanta Braves spring training site. So I get a phone call in the offseason. I said, hey, the girls that just won the Olympics, they're, they're going to be at Disney. Would you go down there? And, you, you know, we want you guys to put on a little bit of show and interact and shake hands and do some things. It's just kind of a little exhibition. And I'm thinking, all right, fine. And it's myself. It's Barry Larkin. Hal Morris and and I think Joe Oliver at the time we were all all Reds, so we went down there and I'm thinking you know we're just gonna <laughs> bat it around, play a little pepper. You guys are gonna lob it in, and I get on the field and there's decent amount of fans. You know these girls just had won the Olympics, and, and we go through and we meet them all, and all of a sudden, okay, grab a bat, and I said, wait a minute. I'm not going to grab a bat. This is, you know, I'm not ready. What do I have to gain? (laughs) Whatever I have to gain here. And I'm telling you, these girls wanted a piece of us, like get in a box. I mean, they're like serious. So this girl, she strikes all of us out. She strikes myself out, Oliver, Barry Larkin. And then a buddy of mine, Hal Morris, our first baseman, he looks at me and he goes, I'll tell you what, Brett. I don't care what I do here. This woman is not going to strike me out. <laughs> and he got up on the knob of the, or off the knob of the bat and he put it in play. The next time uh, 
was in spring training when I was with the Mariners. And I think you see Finch striking out Albert Pujols. Well, I think that particular spring training, she was going around to fields and filming stuff. They tried to get me in the box. No chance. I think they picked my buddy, Mike Cameron, but uh, it's a different game. And if you're not used to it, it's not the old baseball swing. You can't have that lock and load and leg kick. And it's kind of got to be from here to here. But uh, it was really interesting for me. Yeah. This game's a lot faster. It really is. It really is. Um, What would you tell a 10-year-old Monica Abbott if you could go back in time right now? Or would you keep it all the same? I think, you know, honestly, I think I would keep it all the same. Just keep going, girly. Keep going. Have fun. Like, keep going. Don't give up. Keep going. Have fun. You know, I wouldn't change it. You know, 10 years old, like, I was more worried about chasing foul balls to get candy from the snack bar than throwing strikes. So life was good for me. All right. Well, Monica Abbott, I appreciate you coming on the Boone podcast. This was awesome. Very cool. I learned a lot and now I'm kind of a softball fan, but I appreciate you coming on. What an awesome career. What an inspiration you've been to so many, so many people and so many young, so many young women around the, uh, around the sporting world. And uh, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. And what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the Boone podcast is we kick it back to the voice, Dan Levy, Dan. That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera Digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29. I'm Dan Levy, BASS on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.